What up, my homies? Okay, if you missed part one of today's episode with Dr. Mario Bouquet, pause right now, go over and listen, because this is a seven-part episode, guys, where she breaks down all the manipulation tactics that someone in your life may be using against you that you don't actually realize so go check out the first episode with all the first tips and today we actually finish them and go even deeper now Dr. Marielle Bouquet, just in case you missed it, is a respected Afro-Latino psychologist who's made appearances on Good Morning America and the Today Show, just to name a few. And she's joining me with this incredible seven-stage cycle of manipulation. And today, in the second part of our conversation, Dr. Marielle helps us break out of the defaults of saying sorry to everything. She calls this the stage of submission, and we're actually calling it the end of the good girls they think they can control tip. <laughs> All right, guys, if this episode of brought you value i am begging you the one thing that i ask in return is to please please do leave a review and then tell your homies about it for this to actually make global impact i cannot do it alone and i beg of you before you go into diving into this episode this really juicy episode please do go in review this episode review this podcast and then tell your homies about it that means so damn much to me and that is how yes we can get our girl gang together and support each other all right, now without further ado, let's dive in to this, the seven tactics that somebody can use to manipulate you and how the frick you can actually take your power back. Let's get after it. God, I love that. As you were talking about that, um, h- how to do that work, mm-hmm. um, I think it's so beautiful to be able to say, okay, this is from my past and now I'm going to use that as a tool to then help me dictate who's the right person for me. Mm-hmm. And that response is super freaking powerful. And I think even, and I'd actually love to hear your thoughts on this, even if it's something that may seem petty, mm-hmm. like there's certain things that from my childhood are really freaking petty that I've been scarred from. And I've just told my husband when I first met, this is me. <laughs> I'm not going to change. Mm-hmm. And so you may think it's uh, me being too fussy, high standards, but this is where it comes from. And this is why. So I kind of basically said, you have to either love it or lump it, mm-hmm. you know? And so uh, my husband being amazing, he was just like, of course, like, I totally understand. We've all got our scars. And so it was something silly like my food. For instance, mm-hmm. like my, as a kid, um, I have childhood trauma mm-hmm. over the fact that my dad would make me eat food that I didn't like. Mm-hmm. Trauma over it. Mm-hmm. And so now when I go to a restaurant, I'm the fussiest eater. And like, if the way to bring something and it's wrong and there's sauce on it and I, I, I won't scrape, I'll send it back. Mm-hmm. And it takes a very patient partner to be with me to say, of course, babe, like, what do you need in that moment? Because it actually comes from a childhood trauma. Yeah. Um, now, if I was with a different person, if I hadn't done that internal work, they may belittle me and make it seem petty, which actually, when I think about it, and even I say, it's kind of petty, but it's still something that's important to me. Mm-hmm, so whether mm-hmm. people think it's petty or not, I still do it. But if I have a partner that just mocked me all the time for doing that, if I had a partner that just kept saying like, oh my God, you're so fussy. Like, why do you want it like that? You need to stop being so high, you know, have your high standards. Mm -hmm. I think I would start to feel shame Mm -hmm. around this thing that I actually had trauma from as a child. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and re-triggered. This is, you know, it's an opportunity for us. if, If anybody is like, you know, in a situation where they feel as though... The person that they're with isn't creating safety, but is instead just adding to the experience of, of feeling triggered, then that's yet again data, right? I think that um, whenever we're in connection with someone where the connection requires a lot of vulnerability, but in that vulnerability, there is re-traumatization and, and re-triggering, then that is the clue to, to help us to then transition from that situation. In part, not only because, you know, that's a toxic cycle, but also because that person is reflecting their own wounding onto you mm. and they're further wounding you and placing placing their hurt on you so that you now carry it rather than creating a safety container for you so that you can be the fussy eater that you wish to be. Right. And so like so there's all of that. I, I have, you know, my own like versions of, of this, like with um, with the cold. I despise the cold. I'm also, you know, I'm Caribbean. So, uh, you know, I was born like in this really warm place. So warmth to me feels like a hug. And, you know, I've had people in my life that I've dated that have actually uh, warmed the car before I got 
into their car so that I could feel warmth because it mattered to them that I feel safe, that I feel comfort. And so that is a very different scenario than someone fussing at me because I don't like, you know, a draft coming into the, you know, the apartment or something like that. It's a very different scenario. I have to then fight for my comfort with someone that, that isn't honoring it versus just being me with someone that is creating that safety container. It's a very different kind of relationship to have. And it's important for us to always, you know, like figure out how to lean in the direction or at least if we feel invested enough, help a person to then create that container with us. And I think in those moments where you feel really seen, mm-hmm. because yeah. someone knows you and it's like they've thought about you and mm-hmm. you've like gone into the car and it's all warm because they've, like, yeah. even that is just a great sign of someone that really cares. Yeah. And like cares to nurture, which is, you know, such an added step, you know, mm-hmm. beyond even caring. It's like, I care so much about you that I want to create the very scenario and situation where you feel like you can be your best self. I can't be my best self in the cold. (laughs) There is no way. And I, I actually live, you know, in the Northeast, not for very long, but I live in the Northeast. And every time that it gets cold, I always think, why do I live here? Why do I live somewhere where my face hurts in the winter? It makes absolutely no sense. But, you know, I, I think that me being able to, to then connect with someone that does something so incredibly basic, but so incredibly uh, nurturing, but nurturing in a way where they're, it's almost like love in action. They're expressing love through their action, not even saying it, but just saying, I care so deeply about you, that the very basic ways in which you need comfort is something that I am willing to provide or help with. I mean, that, that's a, that's, I feel like a really good setup and a good foundation for, for us to, you know, continue in a healthy way. And so, I, you know, if people are able to offer us those containers in whatever variation that may look like, I think that that's a healthy setup. And, you know, always hold on to that healthy skepticism. Yeah, I love that. You got that at the end, right? Right, right. <laughs> um, okay, great. So we're at number four, which yeah. is gaslighting, and mm-hmm. now number five, which is submission. Yeah. So submission is, you know, um, gaslighting can be very debilitating, especially when we don't know that gaslighting is happening and we can't call it out as a result. So what happens is that people tend to spiral in their thoughts and then they start to self-deprecate. And when people self-deprecate, if I were to self-deprecate and say, um, I've erred, I've, I made a mistake, I've just upset this person, um, what, what tends to be the natural response is to then try and please. This is a lot where people-pleasing comes from, right? Like we want to please and get back on someone's good graces and like feel the warmth again. And so we are already like in that moment in a state of submission because we're at the mercy of whatever this person wants us to do in order to get back into that happy stage. So submission is, in essence, it's almost like the second hooking. Mm. So we're hooked at the first hook, right? Like euphoria, everything's feeling great. And then when submission kicks in, the hook is a little bit deeper. Wow. And okay. Mm-hmm. So, and that is purely because you don't necessarily know how to also handle the gaslighting. So you kind of just take a step back because you do believe it's you. Mm-hmm. You start believing that it's you. And most times you're kind of not winning the battle. So when a person is gaslighting, they're dead set on being right. And so if they're right, then who's going to be wrong? It's going to be you. And so, you know, oftentimes what tends to happen is that because we're talking about cycles, because we're talking about this happening on an ongoing basis, that submission gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And a person starts to internalize that they are, you know, a person that can't be right, is, is, you know, always like making the mistakes in the relationship always making someone angry, like all these kinds of narratives start to become like a part of what people internalize and they submit even more so. So whenever people tell me, um, why didn't I get out sooner? Typically, it's because they entered into that submission stage. And, And so a lot of their thinking was that they were the ones that were creating their own circumstance. And so it, it becomes a lot harder to get out of a situation where you feel like, someone is doing something to you versus you're the one that's messing up. Mm. I didn't want to interrupt you. I've just had a massive aha moment. Mm -hmm. So the thing that I get asked a lot 
is Lisa, I used to have my confidence. I lost it. How do I get it back? And I'm always like, how do people lose their confidence? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. It's exactly what you just said. Yeah. If I got trapped in this cycle of manipulation and yeah. I got to the gaslighting number four, and then I start to submit, mm-hmm. it's like, oh my God, okay, maybe it is me. You do that time and time again for years and years. Over time, of course, you're going to lose your confidence because you think you're always doing shit wrong. Mm -hmm. It internalizes and it becomes the general script that you have about yourself. And so now you're just the person that's always messing everything up. And you're being it's being actually reinforced by the words that that person's actually saying to you. Like, why do you always make me feel this way? Right. Like you're always like messing everything up in this relationship. And like and so when a person is in submission, they're chronically saying, I'm sorry. That's why whenever, especially with women, I always like notice like when when we say I'm sorry a lot, I always wonder like, you know, who made who made you believe that you are always at fault so much so that you say sorry almost by default with things that you shouldn't even be saying sorry about. Right. And so we get caught up in this internalized belief that we are like always erring and, and, and unworthy. How the hell then do you break that cycle of the submission? If you if you find yourself, obviously we've gone through each one. So right up to this point, you know, you've given us the things of if you gaslight, mm-hmm. this is what you do or if you've been gaslit. Um, but with the submission piece then, what are the things you've broken down a couple where it's like if you start to question, okay, it's me, let me back off, the pleasing thing. So those are all signs that someone can watch out for that they're now in the submission stage. Yeah. What are the things they can do to pull themselves out of that submissive submission stage? You know, oftentimes people tend to get out of submission because they feel desperate. They can no longer resist the treatment that they're getting, but also the way that they're feeling. The, the way that submission feels to a person is almost like a depressive state. It's almost like immobilizing, uh, which is why it can be so hard to get out of. It's, you know, you feel like you're kind of frozen, right? And so... Mm. With, with everything, although it sounds a little bit cliche, like the very first thing that can be very empowering for someone to step out of that cycle is the knowledge, right? They say knowledge is power, right? It really is. If we have the information at our disposal, even people that are still in that submissive state, they do get aha moments and they, they do get into this, this process of being able to see, okay, like this is not okay and it's not natural and I'm not always erring. And so like, being able to get into that point of realization like tilts the scale and it allows them to then start questioning a lot of the other things that are happening, which can be a source of empowerment for a lot of people because they can self-actualize and motivate and get out of that, you know, that depressive kind of frozen state that they've been stuck in for however long, whenever they have the knowledge to be able to localize and name and categorize their experiences. So knowledge is gonna be really, really critical. And then the other thing is that, you know, whenever we're in these experiences, like I mentioned, the word mobilizing, immobile, right? Like we become frozen, we become stuck. Our bodies also register all of that. So when our bodies are in a state of chronic stress, we're also feeling the the immobilization that's happening in our bodies, meaning that our bodies are heavy, they're tired, right? And so it's going to be really critical for us to also like get out of those stressed traumatized states by getting our bodies into a healthier place, especially our nervous system into a healthier place. Because whenever we're talking about being in an immobilized state, we're talking about being in a nervous system state of dissociation or freeze or fawn, which is, you know, being in a nervous system shutdown state, meaning that we have been so chronically in a state of stress or chronically in a state of submission that we're basically like frozen there or there by default. Mm. And so if we can train our nervous system to then re-energize, to restore, to recover, then we can also do some of the body-based work that's going to be really essential to get us out of the state of submission in addition to more of the cognitive stuff we already talked about. Oh, so what are a couple of the key things for someone to do to try and get themselves out of that state? You know, we can, I like to start off with something that's easy because, (laughs) you know, when people are in that state, they feel so much and they're already in, you know, like in survival mode, right? So what's easy to remember is that people need to breathe. And oftentimes we don't breathe for long enough. 
we need at least five minutes of deep breaths for our bodies to catch up to the fact that we're trying to re-energize it. And so if people can actually get into the habit of at least breathing, I mean, there's so many things, right? We can do body scans and we can do progressive muscle relaxation, which is a tensing of the muscles and then a relaxation of the muscles to help release some of that absorbed stress response that's captured in the muscles. There's so many things. Um, but if you can tell a person, listen, why don't you try breathing for five minutes for the next 30 days? Just give yourself that. There's 1,440 minutes in a day. If you can just capture five of those minutes wherever you find them and breathe into your body and re-energize your nervous system to work in your favor rather than against you, then you're going to be on a better path towards mobilization and getting yourself out of toxic cycles in your body and in your mind. Oh, that's, thank you. I love these tactics. And I'm sure everyone's like, who's got the time? It's like, well, you pee. So like, can you yeah. do the breathing exercise while you're peeing? Yeah. Okay. And, I, and sure. I, you know, a lot of people that are really busy, right? Um, I work with a lot of corporations and, you know, some of these corporations have like the busiest people you could think of. And I always tell them, okay, if you're walking from one meeting to the next, you can walk and breathe, right? If you're going to heat up your lunch, for example, and it's, you know, three minutes in the microwave, do three minutes. And while you're waiting for your food to heat up, do those three minutes. When you wake up in the morning, you can breathe and do a gratitude practice, a mental gratitude practice, and just breathing into what you're grateful for. Like there are so many moments, at least when you're, you know, when you're segueing to sleep, there's so many moments when we can actually like capture this. And you can be talking to someone in deep breathing. And they have no idea you're deep breathing, mm. right? So you can actually be in a meeting and while someone's presenting or someone else is talking, you can do your deep breaths and, and you can actually get that practice in there without like needing to actually carve out any time in your day that feels like an added task for you to actually do something that's going to be health promoting for you in the moment, but also in the long term. I love that. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with highs as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. I'm going to be utterly honest. There is little more damaging to your confidence than feeling weak and helpless and just struggling to get the care that you actually need from your doctor. And trust me, guys, I unfortunately speak from experience because when I was struggling with crippling, crippling gut issues about nine years ago now, it took me years, years to find a doctor that not only could I connect with, but a doctor that actually would listen, wouldn't gaslight me and actually take my words and my experience as truth so that they could actually eventually help me heal and not just to give me another freaking pill and then push me out the door. But now, my homie, you don't have to struggle to find the right doctor for you you anymore and that's thanks to ZocDoc. ZocDoc is an absolutely free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and then instantly book appointments with them online. And with ZocDoc, you can actually filter by insurance, location 
and specialities to find the perfect fit for you, not for your friend, not for anyone else, but for you. Plus, on top of that, you can actually go and read verified reviews from real patients to find the doctor that you can actually trust. And typically, wait times for booking an appointment are days, not weeks. Because let's face it, when you're sick, you need to see someone right now. So my homie, do not, I repeat, do not neglect your health. Instead, go over to ZocDoc.com slash Lisa and download the ZocDoc app for absolutely free. Then find and book a top rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Lisa. ZocDoc.com slash Lisa. So we started at cloud nine, which is the love bombing phase. Mm -hmm. Then you get hooked. Then it's devaluation, then gaslighting, then submission. And what's after the submission? So after submission, what happens next next is loss of self. So a person actually starts to lose elements of who they are and they start believing that they are someone else. So remember, like submission basically changes the narrative, the script that you have of yourself. And eventually that starts to internalize and you start believing well, I'm a bad person or I am, you know, I'm the girlfriend that constantly, you know, triggers my partner and makes them do bad things to me. Right? And so like there is this this idea of yourself that morphs and, and changes in relation to this relationship. For 38 years, you've been the person that you've been, right? And now in this one and a half years that you've been in this relationship, all of a sudden you're this bad person. Not really, right? It's just that you've been in this cycle and looped into this, this stage of submission often enough that now you've changed the general script that you have of yourself and you've lost the person that you have been for 38 years and you've adopted a new version of yourself, which is why a lot of this work requires that we go back to ourselves, that we come mm. home to ourselves, that we um, reconnect with who we are. Within my work, I also add the element of the spirit. I work with mind, body, and spirit, very holistic, you know. And there's a reason for that because in the spirit element, what I, the way that I reference to it in my work is that we lose connection with ourselves or with the greater world, with the universe, with whatever we believe in or with relationships with others. And usually this loss of self is captured in that, in that we lose track of who our core selves are is in, in these relationships and we develop another version that is fitting to the relationship that we've been in and the cycle that we've been entangled in. So it's really essential for us to actually reconnect to ourselves and reconnect to who we truly are, our core selves and our true selves in order to detract from this loss of self or this other version that we've adopted in this cycle. Oh God, it's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And in the scenario you just laid out, if you've spent, let's say, 34 or 37 years, however long you said, in your true self, and then you meet someone and you go through these stages, you start to change. I can understand. I'm not going to say it's easy, but I can see a way where you can go, okay, who was I a couple of years ago? How do I get back to that person? But what if you've been either in a relationship for a long time mm -hmm. and so you don't actually remember mm -hmm. who you were or you were just young when you met that person and now you've been with them for 10, mm -hmm. 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. And so now the idea of knowing who you are at your core, you literally have no idea. Yeah. How mm -hmm. would you actually even work through that? Well, it's, it's about connecting to who you are when you are your best self so whatever version that is right now and you know what happens or what who is around you or what are you doing or how are you feeling when you feel like your best self like really again data collection right like start collecting the data within the moments that you feel like your most elevated self and then start working towards more of that and so that's, I think, a really healthy start for anybody that's just like trying to get through the weeds and doesn't really know, like, how do I get to what that core self is? Well, first, let's get you to a more balanced self. Mm. And the more balanced self means that we have to add more of what feels good and more of where you feel grounded. Let's take whatever that is and add more of that in your life. And so eventually, the more grounded you are, the more mental clarity you have, 
the more capacity to be more attuned to yourself, the more that we can finally find like who that core self is. And so when you say that, sorry, I love tactics. Yeah. So, and I'm like, if I was to write do down too. on a piece of paper. Yeah. Um, so going back into the, the core self. So I love the like right now, what's mm-hmm. the best version of you? Is it I was very proud of myself that I showed up for my sister last week when she needed me. Mm -hmm. Like, is that what you would write down? So now showing up for someone else is something that makes you feel good. That's your higher value. Like, how do you actually break that down? Yeah, I mean, that's a beautiful example. Absolutely. So it's it's in all of those moments because like your true self is in there, right? Whoever that version of you is there or that version of you, a a, a portion of that version of you is there. And you can just build upon that. Mm. And so it's, you know, it's it's all in all of the micro moments that we have in our lives where we can, you know, just point to them and, and say, like, this is something that feels like a value that I want to hold on to. Um, being present for my sister or, you know, being um, a source of um, maybe like help for my nephew or being somebody who um, people can talk to very easily. Like that's a, that's a quality that I love in myself or, you know, being somebody that um, uh, feels like they take time for themselves, whatever it may be. Like it can be so many things. Just adding more of that into our lives can, can start to replicate the, the level of connection that we have to our core selves, but also it can add to our resilience because the more that we can actually feel like we are connected to what feels good to us, the more that we're going to feel more grounded. And it just becomes like an upward spiral. You know, mm-hmm. all of it just starts, you know, fitting together in a way that feels more positive than the negative experiences that you would have had while you were still in the cycle. Yeah, because I love that. And um, as you were talking, I was thinking about a story that um, another guest was telling me about how they were trying to build their confidence and stand up for themselves more. Mm-hmm. And they said, look, the first thing that I did was like, I just told the barista at the coffee shop how to spell my name correctly. Mm-hmm. Like that was like, they yeah. couldn't even fathom telling their person or their partner mm-hmm. or standing up for themselves when they're being, you know, manipulated or, you know, especially when it's someone close to you. I think it's sometimes even harder than mm-hmm. to do it with a stranger. Mm-hmm. And so one, their answer was like, just do something simple like that, where it doesn't have to bother people but now to your point like you can go back to that and go you know what? I was really proud of myself that I stood up for myself and I just was very clear that's not how you spell my name <laughs> yeah. you know and so that becomes the part of the core identity that mm-hmm. you can start to develop as you start to go upwards in spiral I really mm-hmm. like that phrase yes. by the way absolutely <laughs> I love you know I love the the examples around standards right like you know um especially as women like it's important for us to identify in, in which ways are we subscribing to the standards that we desire for ourselves and then how we how can we add more of that into our lives and then hold other people accountable to also mm. upholding those standards with us mm. right? it, because like whenever you get lost in that submission or lost in your sense of self standards also get compromised in that process and so it's critical for us to either identify what standards could look like for us if we haven't been able to to really uh, burgeon them and manifest them and, and put them in place or to go back to the standards that we held on to before that helped us to feel steady and well mm. and be able to to then organize our lives around those standards. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. And then the other thing that I also do is who is the person I want to be, mm. right? Because it's like, I don't beat myself out for sometimes being triggered, for sometimes having maybe an emotional response that I think I could have controlled better. Yeah. Like things like that, I used to shame myself, blame myself, guilt myself. Mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realized, okay, it just makes me feel worse. Mm-hmm. So now I just go, well, Lisa, that wasn't your best self. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of say, mm. even in that voice, like you weren't your best self, oh. Lisa. Like, But like the future me wants to be this person. And so now I don't beat myself up. It projects me forward. And when you said spiral up, that really hit me very well. Mm -hmm. Because I think about every day, how do I spiral up? Mm -hmm. And it becomes these tiny little stepping stones that we start to do where it's like, okay, I wasn't great. I can actually... um, change my behavior how am I going to change my my behavior next time because that's the person I want to become Mm -hmm. and just like anything I think of it as like a skill set yeah that becoming the person you actually want to be means that you have to adopt and practice a bunch of skill sets that accumulate over time Mm -hmm. yeah you know what I think tends to help folks and I actually learned this by doing it myself about 14 years ago is actually visualizing this person. So you visualize Lisa in 2023 
what is she dressed like? What does she look like? What kinds of mannerisms does she have? What's the backdrop of, you know, where she's situated when you're visualizing her? Like I visualized myself back then. I visualized myself with a bookshelf behind me. I love reading. So I was like, and now I have my own book. Yeah. <laughs> so now How I can. Crazy is that, I know. Homie? Isn't that amazing? Like just the visualization that was so concrete mm -hmm. down to the very details. Like what do you smell in that room? Um, what are the, the, the ways in which you are in essence, like walking into the room even, right? And who's around you. And so that visualization and being able to really think concretely about who is this person and what is around them can be really helpful in then navigating towards that. Because mm -hmm. oftentimes, like even when we create lists, sometimes um, we don't really visualize the list. We just like write it down. But when we can actually step into an idea of how that can come to life, it can be even more motivating. And also, you know, for any of us who really need to be able to like look towards something, it can be very helpful to have something to look towards too, because we already have that image in our minds about like, where are we headed? Mm. And is that really what people are doing when they say, I because I hear a lot of my friends say, I manifested him into my life. Now, mm -hmm. I personally do not like the word manifest, mm -hmm. only because I have the assumption that it means you close your eyes, you hope for something to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think that that doesn't, that, um, that doesn't propel you into taking action. And I'm all very action oriented. Mm -hmm. But in what you're just saying, actually, is a different way of me thinking through manifestation. And I think it's it's the building blocks that maybe allow you to build the life or saying yes and no to the th to the things that come at you. So for mm -hmm. instance, as you were saying, you know, I was in I was visualizing the bookshelf behind me. People I think could do that with partners as well, right? Mm -hmm. And then in, in visualizing the type of partner, the way they're going to treat you, the way they're going to talk to you, the way they're going to, you know, interact with you. Yeah. I think now almost gives you like bumpers you know like in a bowling alley so yeah. that if somebody actually steps out of those bumpers that doesn't align with the person that you're looking for mm -hmm. it almost becomes an automatic no now yeah and if but if you don't visualize that if you don't actually put in those bumpers i think that that could potentially and i'd love for, for you to either debunk mm -hmm. it or agree mm -hmm. um that that the visualization if you don't have it now you're removing the bumpers and now you're allowing people in your life that may not fit the person you wanted and now you're just responding to a feeling they're giving you mm -hmm. and you're also getting lost in the whatever that relationship morphs into mm. and you're not actually being an active agent in creating or co-creating the relationship that you desire based on the parameters that you put together mm -hmm. for yourself and so, it, you know, I think that there, that's probably an added risk that happens. So I would say yes to what you said. And I love the analogy. It's beautiful. And then also, you know, you, what we don't want is for a person to go in the direction of the potential of loss of self. Right. Um, and so it's, it's important to have certain parameters, write them down, visualize them, really lean in the direction of, of even like, I like the idea of because like sometimes we visualize something and then we forget about it and years later we may come back to it. I like the idea of returning back to what we wrote down or returning back to the image that we, you know, had in our minds and, and, and all of the different senses that we experienced in that imagery process because it, it allows us to then go back to what we know holds true, which is this is what I desire for my life. And then whoever steps into your world, you're going to continue to to also like, understand like this is what needs to fit rather than oh this person's great and you know they're not fitting or they're not holding the standards that I desire but you know I'm just going to go in this direction and, and it's it's an easy way to get lost in yeah mm -hmm. all right we've got number seven gal stage seven yes so stage seven is emotional addiction and emotional addiction is is tricky because now that you've already entered that process of losing yourself you're just in essence going off of emotion and and your emotions are being fed um, in this process where um what you desire right now is just to go back into what feels like the healthy place which is love bombing mm -hmm. and so in essence like everything that you do is to try and get back into that stage but you're already in a process where everything that happens in the relationship is just feeding emotions. 
emotional addiction is in essence that, right? Like you're, you're trying to get that emotional hit and the dopamine hit, which is, you know, in essence, what you get whenever you get back into that reconciliation stage, into that love bombing stage. Um, and so you're doing everything that you can to get that emotional hit. And eventually when you get back into it, then it leaves you, in essence, uh, it, it leaves you vulnerable to then what happens next, which is you going back into being hooked and then devalued and then gaslit and then so forth and so on and back into the cycle. Mm, and how do you start to then identify that now you're emotionally addicted? And if you don't address it, you're about to get into the love bombing cycle. Mm -hmm. um, what are the things that you can identify that signal to you that this is the stage that you're in? And then when you're in that, how do you make sure that you don't then get back into the freaking love bombing? Because mm -hmm. to your point, it feels bloody good, mm -hmm. especially when you've just been through all those stages. Yeah. And now you end up feeling really shitty about yourself. Well, you know, something that people um, can do in, in order to really understand, okay, this is exactly what's happening, is understand that all of these things are connected to another human. Um, that the shame and the guilt and the anxiety and the worry and will they leave and are they going to, you know, love me again and all of those things are tied directly to that person. If you extract yourself from that person just mentally, right, and you experience yourself as not having any of those things, any of those qualities, the shame, the loss of self, the guilt, the, any of those things, then there is a cycle that's in, involved there and there's a person that is feeding that cycle uh, with you. And so the first point of recognition is there is another person that's there that's contributing to this and that allows a person to then create some level of extraction in their minds and compartmentalizing the situation. Like there's a manipulative strategy that's happening. There is a person that's responsible for that manipulation. That person is outside of me. There is a person that is, you know, in essence, victimizing me. And that person isn't me. I'm not the person that is, you know, causing the chaos, but I am, chaos is being brought onto me. Mm -hmm. And so when we can actually like do that mental separation, that allows us to then see the full picture of everything. And that's when people sometimes like, they need a moment because when they get into that realization, they say, oh my goodness, like I can't believe that this is happening. And even when they have that realization, it, it, they can very easily still get back into those cycles because they're very powerful. However, the more that we can extract ourselves mentally and say, this is what it is, this is what it is, and then finally get into a place where we, in essence, don't want to be in that cycle anymore, then the cycle breaking journey begins. And that's when people can start the extraction process and start developing ways to, to uh, disconnect from the other person. Now, you know, it, it isn't always easy and sometimes, you know, it can be dangerous for some folks. So it's mm -hmm. important for people to be wise and strategic and, and, and put a plan in place, you know, to be able to extract themselves from anybody who has these toxic elements. But, um, but it is, you know, the first point of insight is going to be really essential because that's going to be the moment where a person can actually disconnect themselves from the circumstance itself. Ooh. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about. That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. Okay, so what are 
what do you do then? What does disconnecting actually look like? Is it deleting them from your phone? Like, because to your point, you even said, even when you realize it, like you, you definitely hope that, oh my God, once you have the recognition that aha moment hits you, it's all over, right? And they're good. They're mm-hmm. going to walk away. They're going to find the great relationship. But to your point, the love woman feels so damn good that even with the recognition, you may end up there. So mm-hmm. how do you prevent yourself in that moment of recognition to go, okay, I'm not going to beat myself up, but I know humans well enough, right? You just said, I just mm-hmm. watched an episode of Women of Impact and I just heard that, <laughs> you know, that we're going, that I, I may go back there. Yeah. So in order for me to make sure that I don't go back there, what are the things people can do? Well, People need to ask themselves, like, um, what am I looking for here? What is this love that I believe that this person is the only one that can supplement this love in this way, right? Because if we're going back into wanting to be loved in this profound way, then there's something that we're seeking there. Um, And it's important to understand that too, right? And we all have our variations of it, right? Like, um, it's just critical for us to, to also understand, like, what is it that I'm seeking? Is it acceptance, right, from this person? Is it uh, to be really seen in the ways that I'm seen in this very, very compartmentalized love bombing stage, right? Like, and then dig into the layers. Like, where was I not seen? Or when did I not feel seen? Or when did I first not feel seen, right? Going back into the origins of where the wound developed. And and that's when stuff t- starts getting getting really heavy in terms of the healing, but it it is very, very necessary. Because when we're able to get into the layers of our own wounding, especially if wounding has happened even before this relationship took root, then it can offer us an opportunity to then understand ourselves better and understand what we're seeking and why we're seeking that love bombing stage with such fervor. Mm. Have you been in that stage before, the emotional addiction stage? Yeah. I... Actually, when I was 25, I was engaged and I actually didn't know that any of this was happening until I then went into my doctorate and learned about it. What? <laughs> yeah. Seriously? And I was like, oh my goodness. Oh, <laughs> I couldn't believe that that was something that was in my life. And I think that that happens for a lot of us. I was like, you know trying to appease my partner, trying to find ways to get back into that wonderful feeling. And in reality, I was just getting right back into a cycle. And so, you know, it, 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 the moments when we have that realization can be really hard for us because in those moments, we're also having to recognize that we've been in a place that has been incredibly toxic and now we have to claim that we've been in a toxic relationship. And that's really hard for a lot of people, right? To like enter that point of recognition and to self-identify as a survivor of like toxic cycles, right? But um, but I also found it to be incredibly empowering. And I started empowering all the women around me with the knowledge that they needed. And then of course, then I just developed, you know, um, into being a psychologist that was really passionate about all of this in order to safeguard people from the toxic effects of a toxic mm-hmm. relationship because these effects can last us a lifetime sometimes. Um, they can last generations when we're not in healing and then we we start, you know, being in those trauma responses and modeling that to our children. And so it can be, you know, something that can have just very, very detrimental effects. And so um, I believe in being able to now recognize it in in my own relationships, which I I tend to do um, now that I know better, right? And then also to to help educate everybody else because I you know we need the tools to to no longer get into these cycles that can be uh, so life changing and life shifting in such awful ways. Well, could you imagine if you didn't do your doctorate or you didn't? I could have very easily, and I actually went into my doctorate. Well, my master's first, but my master's and then my doctorate three months after I left that relationship. So it was literally right after. And I got an opportunity to learn right away what all of this was. And it it was very liberating. And, um, you know, I'm so grateful, but I also... I want everyone to know this. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we all deserve a right to to have at our disposal the information that can shield us and protect us from from all of this. Yeah, I 
in everything we've been talking about today, I've literally been having like these flashbacks. So my very first boyfriend, um, I started dating when I was 15 mm -hmm. and I was teased and bullied and I didn't have any boyfriends and people called me ugly. So by the time I was 15 and I found a boyfriend, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, someone <laughs> likes me. So yeah. Im immediately I already had low self-esteem, right? And now I put so much um, value into him having chosen me. Mm. And so for about three and a half years, four years, it was exactly like everything we've just been talking about. Every single stage to the point where if I'd had the courage to break up, right, because I'd have finally had enough, mm -hmm. finally, it's gaslighting me, I did mm -hmm. say that, you're an asshole, right? Like yeah. at 16, 17, we just scream at each other, mm -hmm. zero communication skills. And the thing he would say to me is, I can't leave me. You're never going to find someone that loves me as much as I love mm -hmm. you. Now, when you've spent a couple of years with this person, it's the only person that's ever, ever shown you what you think is shown you, right? Love, attention, ad admiration. Mm -hmm. I was petrified and yeah. I started to believe him. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh God, well, what if I don't? And that, you can imagine what tied that between love and abuse looked like in my head at the yeah. time. Yeah. And it wasn't until almost like I went to college and a lot of boys started hitting on me, hitting on me at college. And so that was almost the thing where I was like, well, maybe he's not the only fish in the sea. Like, <laughs> he had really manipulated me yeah. to believe I couldn't get another guy. Yeah, into, into submission. He manipulated you into losing an idea that you held about yourself, which is that you could have been loved by others, right? Or that you were a lovable person. And so, you know, the weaponizing of our vulnerabilities is something that happens in, the, in these toxic cycles, which is why it's, you know, incredibly critical for us to be so attuned to them. Because when we enter these amorous relationships or any relationships and we express our vulnerabilities, it, I believe it's important for us to express our vulnerabilities in places that we have already analyzed and, and seen as safe, mm. that we can see the person, I mean, at 15, like, not a lot of us really can, you know, but we can train, we can train teenagers to have relationships that are centered on, you know, healthy strategies rather than, you know, uh, manipulative strategies. But for many of us, especially in our generations, like we, we just didn't have those tools. Like no one was talking about this stuff at all. Right. And so we were just entangled in these cycles and in these relationships and almost married into a relationship, right, where there's like a lot of these, these uh, just awful, awful experiences that can really spiral you into a place where you no longer really kind of like know how to navigate out of it. But again, like whenever we have the knowledge and we have hopefully the willpower to extract ourselves from the relationship, then we have an opportunity to create abundance in our relationships thereafter and hopefully not get sucked back into the cycle. Yeah, I, I, I still think about what would have happened if I didn't leave him? Like, what would have happened? Because I, 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 I started dating him at 15, but we were so on and off. It was like one of these very turbulent relationships. Mm -hmm. He was verbally abusive. He pushed mm. me a few times. So oh. he was definitely physical as well. And he just he just wasn't a nice guy. Mm. So, But it was on and off up until the age of like 19, 20. So I think about what would have happened to my life if I had stayed there? What would have happened mm -hmm. to my confidence? Who would I have been? And thank the Lord that just enough things stacked that I had the confidence and courage to just finally leave him. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting, and I believe they say this about narcissists, but, and I'm not sure if he's an, he was a narcissist or not. I don't like to just fling that word around, mm -hmm. but he was definitely abusive. And um, when I finally had the confidence to be like, no, nah, I'm done. It wasn't like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. I was just like, no, I'm done. Mm -hmm. um, he kept trying to come back into my life. Yeah, yeah. And what is that? Is that breadcrumbing, I think they call yeah, it these days? Yeah, it the is. youngsters these days. And, and hoovering. Um and hoovering like the like the vacuum, right? Like to to suck you back in. Um and I'm so sorry that you went through that and that I did, right? Like I think uh, you know, a lot of these experiences, um it they're they're probably a bit more common than um than we give credit. And um, usually what tends to happen in a toxic cycle is that that person is now losing their own supply. So we are actually supplying the need that they have to have power and domination over a person. And so when they've actually lost that, the, the remaining tactic is to hoover you back in. 
and to send you those, but you know, I love you texts or whatever, whatever other texts that they know is going to give them an in. And then eventually they'll go back into love bombing and then continue the cycle. Yeah. It's the, I'm sorry, I won't mm -hmm. do that again. Mm -hmm. I'll change. And because I think you really do hope that what they say is true. Mm -hmm. You want to almost give them the benefit of the doubt, but then in that benefit, of the doubt, it almost concretizes in their mind that you can be hoovered back. Mm -hmm. And remember, like if we are already at a point of an emotional addiction, then it means that we're going to be looking for that, which they're already giving us in that Hoover stage. The, I'm sorry, I love you. You know, it, I'll change I'm here, what can I do? All the things that we desired, right? So the dopamine effect, the oxytocin and all those beautiful hormones are like fluttering around and it's gonna be all the more easy to actually get hoovered back in. And I think in everything that you just said, it's really powerful for anyone listening to not blame themselves that they keep getting hoovered back in, mm -hmm. right? It's a very manipulative, specific tactic that someone's using when they know your triggers, they know how to pull at your strings, mm -hmm. they know exactly how to play you in essence. And, um, but we still go back to beating ourselves up afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it, the thing, I, I'm so glad that you're mentioning that because it's really essential to, to also not get back into a point of, you know, self-submission because a lot of the stuff is learned, right? And and for us to not beat ourselves up whenever we do get into these stages where um, we believe we would never find ourselves because it is a very powerful, very effective type of strategy to engage someone in a manipulative cycle. It is incredibly effective, which is why it happens so often. So like I said, there are people that can perhaps be, you know, targets that are sought after, but anybody can actually be in essence, like brought into a cycle of this nature. Well, I could freaking talk to you forever. This has mm. been fun, I guess, is like a weird word to say about something so heavy. Yeah. But like, in all honesty, now with this breakdown, it is so beautifully concrete for people to look at and go, where am I in this cycle? What should I be expecting? And mm -hmm. how do I freaking get out of it? So that they don't keep repeating this cycle, the seven stages over and over for years and years, decades and decades, and then God forbid, end up, you know, in their older lives where they look back as like all those years that I've wasted, where I could have been treating myself better and being with someone that actually deserves me mm -hmm. and like you know there is an opportunity each and every day to decide to break the cycle and to then create the life that you really deserve that we all deserve we deserve a life that we love and that is in abundance and there's opportunity each and every day Dude, I freaking adore you. Me too. Where can I people find you, you and all the amazing content you're putting out and your upcoming Thank book? You. Thank we didn't even touch on Break the Cycle. Well, in essence, we did, you know, because, you know, I, I do focus on disrupting cycles of toxic abuse in, in the book as well in a more uh, expanded way. So it's it's all in there. But um, people can find me at drmarielbouquet.com or at dr.marielbouquet on all of social. And my book, Break the Cycle, A Guide to Healing Intergenerational Trauma, will be out January 2nd, and it's out on pre-order now. So people can find it uh, on my website and, and on social. And I'm excited for a, a whole generation of cycle breakers to come out of this book.